0: Welcome to the Ordinals Podcast, produced by Ord Media, featuring the top builders, projects, and investors pioneering Bitcoin inscription protocols and the future of digital artifacts. Welcome everyone to the Ordinals Podcast. I'm your host, Ragnar Leafthracer. We finally have a guest on to talk about audio audio inscriptions and he's the perfect person to do it jim.btc he's working on a really cool project called audio Null. so it's like audio with ordinals. so audio nulls and it aims to create a world of possibilities for web3 music but um, there's many other possible things you can do with it so jim welcome to the ordinals podcast
1: brilliant thanks very much for having me on
0: yeah, I'm glad you're here. Um, I know you have, you know, a history of, you know, <laughs> NFT and Stacks and, and briefly you told me, you know, you have your background in music. Um, before we get into that, let's jump right into audio Audionals. So for a layperson who's kind of maybe new to ordinals, likes music and audio, how would you describe audio Audionals?
1: The idea for audio nulls was really born out of the idea of, um, you know, there being an audio source of truth. Um, which could be used like a library for um, some of the things which we we briefly spoke about. Some things that I uh, asked ChatGPT to come up with a list of, of potential uses just the other night because I hadn't actually expressed it myself. But probably half of the things that ChatGPT suggested in those comments were things that were already on my mind, which was things like preservation of uh, language. I have a friend, a very close friend in Australia, who's, who, uh, you know, was, is, is actually part of this, this whole story of the mutiny on the bounty. And he speaks uh, mm. uh, a, 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 an almost forgotten language uh, that's a, a mix of Tahitian and Old English. Uh, there's only a few hundred of them that, that exist. And, you know, things like that um, have been on my mind. I wanted to record him 20 years ago. He ended up getting getting throat cancer and has lost his voice. And so I never actually managed to record him. but. Uh, It's just something that's been on my mind that, um, you know, it would be great to have this kind of uh, seed bank, if you will, for audio. And that's certainly one use case would be for, um, you know, remembering phonetics and not to mention the the educational aspect of it as well, but actually for things that are kind of relics of the past um, that are to be heard and listened to. uh, That was, that was kind of where it started. And then from there, I, I was looking into ways Uh, to store audio um, on the blockchain obviously you can just upload audio as it is as a a WAV file or an mp3 um, but you're quite uh, restricted to the amount of metadata that you can attach to these things and if we were to start um, what I'm planning to be it's a a global community driven uh, 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 audio library uh, for everyone to submit to and for everyone to access and for that we need really good indexing we need uh, you know, metadata tags that can file these, this audio away so it can be pulled out, um, you know, through through a number of searches. And then through that process, <clears throat> I started, it's obviously quite expensive putting audio on, so I wasn't going to start with long speeches or anything. And uh, something because of my history as a musician and a producer, it just sort of sprung to my mind to, to test um, by putting some samples up that I could pull back in. And then I I, I sort of had a vague idea in my head of, you know, in the future it might be interesting to see if i can sequence these things but it all kind of happened in the same move i kind of experimented with a couple of loops um, and then i you know i put them into this new i created a new standard which i published uh, around early june sometime called audionals it wasn't initially ordinals with just an au for audio but then i found there was another outfit who were doing something with brc20s um, did, you know a very different project but the same name so i quickly rebranded to audionals um and uh and then sort of sort of cracked on and then i created this uh the standard which is is converting the audio into base 64 um embedded text which then sits inside a json so that json then becomes almost like a collector's card where you can put any data on there that you want i've been creating this i've got about 30 fields so far and i'm also working through um, some fields that should hopefully make for easy interoperability with all the world's Um, performing right society. So I'll have some fields in there that will have all the right uh, formats for for sort of hopefully engaging with those too. Um, But yeah, so once I built this this sequencer and then started recalling these files, I realized that the web API does a a really fantastic job of pulling these things together, much better than I expected. And then so I then started going down the rabbit hole of uh, creating the ordinal sequencer uh, it's it's almost like the library is, is if you think of it as a layer one, as the audio source of truth, which is is kind of containing uh, everything uh, on that layer. Oh, I saw I dropped out on you there for a second. Um, yeah. So if if uh, if the layer one is the audio source of truth is the library where all of this audio exists, this sequencer is kind of like the first of many potential layer twos that I've built here which is which has one 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 use really which is accessing musical samples um or other samples that aren't musical but in the idea of putting them into musical uh sequences which um can then themselves be inscribed as songs if you will but these are not songs anything like you know them because they don't there's no recording um I'm very close to getting the first sort of demo inscription made which will be uh, a series of yeah. instructions, which is what these ordinal uh, compositions come out as, which is a series of URLs showing you where these uh, musical samples are and then a series of instructions telling them when they should be triggered in the song. And so you end up with just this very small text file, which then using recursion, uh, using the, the actual sequencer, which will be inscribed as the engine for, for driving this, I can then create a separate player which will link the song file with the sequencer In a very very small file which will then itself be the the player which will play this song but then the the second that no one is actually accessing the player and actively executing these instructions there is no song you know there's no recording um so the entire thing is 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 put together in a uh, it's programmatic uh in how it's how it's constructed and so when when no one's actually listening to those those instructions the song itself although you can hear it as a song, doesn't actually exist as a recording anyway. It's quite interesting.
0: Okay, well, let's... Yeah, that's interesting. So there's a lot to break down. So let's start at the most basic, because right now, I mean, you've been able... Anyone could inscribe an audio file. Um, So this does much more than that. So correct me where I'm wrong here, but this is basically two things. It's a protocol. Um, So the first thing... That you were talking about was inscribing the audio data in the form of a base 64 embedded json file so is the basic idea there that you can have text that is kind of human readable easy to index is that the basic purpose of doing it that way in this json
1: the, the base sixty four is just a way of turning audio into text that's that's one of the the, the sort of things that needs to be done here. And in fact, it makes the files about thirty percent bigger, so it makes it a bit more expensive uh, to convert audio this way. but again, if you want it to be indexed and part of this library, then it's necessary that the thing is, is is that the audio is either referenced from from another file, which is another kind of option. but that kind of complicates things. Having the audio in its own file. Certainly, what I, one of the things I found with making the sequencer is that I can, because I can add so much metadata that can't be added to a normal audio file, this audio can turn up at the sequencer uh, it, like, a, like, a, like a smart uh, sample. It, it can turn up and it, it's already carrying a lot of the stuff that the user might otherwise be expected to deal with, to say, okay, what speed is this? What tempo is it? What uh, pitch is it? What key is it? Um what sample rate is all these sorts of things that usually would be down to a person who is using a sample to you know collate all this information instead the samples can carry this themselves, which then again means that your sequencer, which will be an inscription itself, um has less work to do. You know the more you can sort of spread this stuff out and put it where it should be, you know modularizing it, the sample having all of its own metadata when it arrives means the sequencer doesn't have to do that work because the, the sample turns up with it. And in, in the same way with the seed bank idea in the library for indexing, it's kind of the same thing. If you want it to be searchable in all these different ways, another really great benefit with JSON is that it's UTF-8 uh, encoded. Now what that means is that it's searchable in all languages. And so that again is a very important thing if you're putting together you know something of a museum level uh, audio record it needs to be searchable by everybody it can't just be in english for example we need it to be searchable in all languages and also searchable in many different ways it's not enough just to have the name of the file um you know there's always got to be some context and again you want that context to be attached to the file uh you know for for ease of searching and, and indexing so that's um yeah okay
0: yeah, because otherwise, before without this, it's tough. You can upload an audio file and there's some kind of metadata that you can, you know, attach to it, sort of. But when you're talking about it, you're trying to create an entire music library that has all the data that you would want and then that you would want to probably update in the future. And not only that, but then you want to take that what you were saying about, you know, to have that there so then you can do things with with that so it's not just purely static data that, that you could then make it more is it fair to say programmatic
1: totally for the for when me you do it this for way? The user, you know i mean the, the the forms that i've got on audionals.com if you have a look at audionals.com you can see underneath the sequencer is the the form for uh, uh creating these audional json files with your audio and then inscribing them um and uh, yeah, if you if you have a look there, you can see that what you can do for music, but what you can do, I have got another form, which I just haven't quite finished yet. And I'll put up there, it's got 30 or 40 different uh, fields on it, uh, including, you know, user input, you know, you've got certain fields where, you know, it might, I might not have covered it. And so people want to have their own user entered fields. And then, again, all of these fields for hopefully every royalty system in the world. So you've got a way of you know, having the right reference number or code that can be used all the right, all the way around the world. Again, just making, if it is even a song file with, with licensing or or a sample with licensing, and you can include so much information there right down to your own licensing, uh, you know, requests, requirements for, you know, how you want to license this, whether it's a know a free license or whether you have different licensing restrictions for where it's used all the stuff that a publisher would do you know you can now just make this uh this file uh express itself and you can choose that yourself so um yeah it's a the, so going the, back the, to like the big problem. idea of- sorry go on
0: yeah so that going back to like uh you know the big picture of ordinals and inscriptions like why do we need this why not just put it on amazon you know aws why not save it you know to the cloud? Why do we need all this? right? So there's a few things it sounds like. First is just that immutability. that you want something where the data is there forever, for various reasons, right? Uh, censorship resistance, integrity of the audio, you know things like that where you don't want it to be changed, deleted, altered. So that seems like kind of the first reason, like before we get into like too much of the details that's the advantage of doing this on inscriptions right and having it be i think i saw a source of truth in there as well so that's sort of the the base
1: that's that's where you want that immutability and that security you know if you're talking about a historic record then you definitely don't want to be doing it anywhere other than somewhere super secure and for a lot of people it's the super secure that you can trust and this is the super secure that everyone can trust um so that that's on the library level and then on the the more trivial level you know with the music stuff this isn't something that has to be kept or saved but again one of the real benefits that i'm finding with working with this sequencer is that i can create a file i can download my arrangement as a json file and i can send that to anyone who can then go and open this blockchain version of the player and then they, which I haven't actually put, I've got an older version of the player on the blockchain, but it doesn't have the load and save function, unfortunately, But you can uh, go in and play around with it. But, you know, with a new player, I can send these files to anyone and I know that they can log in to the same player because it's inscribed, it's already historic, it's happened, it's like, it's done, it's immutable. So if if, if I can, if I can create a, a file on that player and I can send it to someone, then I know that wherever they are in the world, as long as they've got access to the internet, I don't have to send them uh, the, the additional files. If I was work, you know, when I used to work in logic and I have to send files to people, you've got to package up all your stuff. You've got to package up your audio units, all the, 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 the plugins that you're using, everything's gotta be packaged up to make sure this person's got what they need. This is the very beginnings of, of a, an online, a web three production environment. But once this is really built out, it's like the most perfect production environment, the most perfect patch bay. People can keep adding stuff for an eternity, but the stuff that works now will always work the same way it works. The the samples that you're using will always have the same relationship to the player. It will always be in the same place. The The instructions will always read the same, but, the system can keep getting added to. You know, the sequencer. I'll start adding some effects and synthesizers I've been inscribing as well. And once these are all starting to be accessible, the sequencer, even if when it's an old sequencer with some basic standards like the Ordinal protocol and some other protocols that I'm coming up with for the effects units, it'll, it'll be infinitely forward compatible. You know, anything that's created in 10, 20 years, as long as it uses that protocol, it'll be able to be pulled into that sequencer. Even though the sequencer itself will, it will probably be 20, 30 kilobytes. It's not like the end of the world. It's not a massive thing. It's something that can be updated. But it's just really interesting that, you know, what you do on that now will be the way it works forever. And that can't change no matter what anyone does to the studio, no matter how much more equipment they put in or things they add to the patch bay. The things that you can do now will never change. And that's that's really, really cool. Really amazing to be able to share stuff with anyone like that. And all they need is access to the Chrome browser, really.
0: It's so strange because you, at least I I should say, I usually think of, you know, inscriptions as, as data, art, and just sort of kind of static files. But in fact, what's really going on is sort of it's, it's functioning software. It's programmable software. It's doing things. It's not like display this JPEG, it's actual software. And that brings up a couple interesting things, as you said. So kind of putting into my simple words, it's basically like a standard in a sense, right? It's a standard of software. Cause you mentioned, oh, you have to have this plugin or this uh, you know factor and you. Got, it's like, no, there's just this one thing that everyone uses and it's not like you don't need the license for it. It's open source, it's on the blockchain. Uh, it's not going to go anywhere. So that's just one cool sort of standard like uh, way to do it. So it's standardized uh, with being open source, permissionless, no cost to it. And then you were talking about like the integrity of the files as well. Maybe this is a bad example, but I, I remember, you know, you, you'll see some great album and they say it was remastered and people don't like the remastered version, right? They want the old version or, or vice versa. But this allows you to say, okay, here's the original version that stays forever, but it can be updated, but it won't be deleted. Um, and I'm even thinking about this is slightly different example, but like books now. So books are actually being rewritten based on new political ideologies that the way things were 50 years ago, people don't like the politics back then. So they've actually changed the text. I got to imagine there's audio files where they would want to do that, especially like political speech. And what are some of those types of things where you definitely want to, you know, have the integrity of the original audio file besides just you like like
1: it is is interesting i mean there's there's the idea of political speeches and things i mean it's almost like the internet you know does have some security in like people have found out when they've been um uh, you know when they had all this these revenge videos people would put up and they, they can't be taken down you know, there is an element of safety in the internet in that, you know, if anything is put on the internet, it ends up just being shared. And it's a bit like a blockchain. It ends up being distributed in a decentralized, but it's chaotic. It's untraceable, but it's there, you know, it's probably, you know, your file isn't lost lost. If anyone if there's any public interest in it, for example, you know, old speeches and things, but you know, in, in the same, in the same breath, you know, having it in one place where you just know where it is, you know, where it will be, you know, where you can access it. But then on top of that, there's things like, um, uh, you know, security. One of the first conversations I had with someone uh, when I spoke about this idea, uh, someone in my family actually who who sort of works in lots of different businesses, and he was saying he had been talking to his friend who is in um, uh, voice uh, voice recognition software, and he was like, "This is this is a really interesting concept for this because it's like you could." I mean, I was thinking you wouldn't necessarily put the the live samples in there, but again, using this sort of indexing and encryption you know you could at least be storing files potentially in an encrypted way but where both the voice recognition company and the the user who owns the voice you know both have a key a way of accessing that so you you then have that shared source of truth rather than you saying okay i've given you my voice but it's held on your servers or or worse it's held on the servers of a third party that you trust uh, instead, it's like we can both agree that it's in the one place, that we both know where it is and we know that it, I know that's me. They know it's me. It's encrypted. I've got a private key for it. Um, you know, there's there's those sorts of applications where, again, that adds a, an extra level of security and, and, and takes away the, next, the need for a layer of, of trust um, because uh, you're both operating in the same uh, domain.
0: And so, yeah, that, that's – Security is a very interesting use case uh, for inscriptions and long term. And a lot of times when I think about like an application or tool, I like to think of it as what if I had this tool five years ago or 10 years ago? What would I have done with it? How would the world be different? How would people have been using this? And when I think of things that way, it really becomes clear to me whether something has value or not. And one thing for me as a person, like if this had been around five years ago, let's go back 30 years ago, actually, this had been around 30 years ago, I would have loved to have recorded like a family member who has since passed away and having that story being there forever, because now there's generations like my grandfather fought in World War II over Germany, He had shrapnel in his arms. I mean, you know, war veteran story type stuff. He died of cancer. Um, So just that, that preservation and then being able to add that. So going into the recursive part, let's go into that. You know, it'd be interesting to recursive inscriptions to add that to his audio file, maybe another vet, you know, maybe someone from our family who talked about that. So can you go into that about where does recursive inscriptions come into this?
1: Recursion is really what's made this all possible, because when ordinals Aud- first came out around February, I think I found out about it around February or March, um, there was no recursion. Uh, I, I'm not a developer, but I, I do have an idea about how these things work in a, in a rudimentary way. And one of the things that I have always said, I mean, I've worked with Bitcoin since 2014, I actually imported the, the, the UK's first Bitcoin ATM in 2014 to learn about, it. I was touring at the time, had just had my third child, was desperate to get off the road and, and come home. And so I remortgaged my house and I imported a Bitcoin ATM because I'd read the white paper and I had gone, this is this is money remittance, this is the revolution that the, the you know the the world's unbanked have been waiting for. So I thought, well, I'll make it my mission to to learn about. It. So I bought this ATM and that was how I would kind of uh, learned about these things. And so I'm not a developer. Um, You know, it's it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not how I got into this, into this, into this game. Um, sorry, you have to remind me what your question was. I,
0: I went back to, yeah, recursion, recursive, yeah, recursive inscription. (laughs) So how is it that you can use that, uh, to update things, to add to things?
1: So, rather than so just then, one inscription. So what, time. I mean, when I, the point I was getting to is when I did first get into it, I, I I remembered someone telling me, you know, the satoshis, you know, they're all identifiable, a bit like a banknote. And So I think the idea of recursion. As soon as we were inscribing on satoshis, I was like, okay, well, I I know that at some point I could identify another satoshi. So if I find a satoshi and I say, okay, here's a piece of code, and I tell this code like a time traveling. So. I i write a, and inscribe a really old inscription that says when this specific satoshi has some information this really old inscription can suddenly look like it's told the future you know like look look and I, it was just an idea i was just running around in my head uh and this is prior to recursion actually being a thing but so it was it was there it was in my mind that this is coming there's something something's going to happen here and so actually when i heard the talk about it i had already been working on some pieces of code which i've been trying to do on stacks but because all of the the markets were operating, you know they they are using their own wallets and everything. It's just it's not like on blockchain. They 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 need to be safer. You know, you, there's there's things that that cause that 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 pose a risk. And certainly in recursive uh, code, there is there is risks. You know, in in people putting things on your on your computer, making you click something and doing something bad. So they were they were very careful about that. So I couldn't really experiment with it. But the minute I heard that uh, uh, Casey Romero, the guys on there. GitHub was saying, you know, we're about to uh, launch this recursion. I think like the day they announced it, I think I made about 10 recursive uh, applications, none of which worked because I wasn't doing it right. I knew that there was some way of doing this and I was just hammering it out there. I mean, these are all tiny little files, you know, but I was just trying to make this work, you know, all of them less than a kilobyte, Uh, some of which I've now gone back recently. They're all sort of sub 100K and found that they actually work. Because again, one of my lack of, uh, my lack of understanding of these things is that this browser security and this security is something that actual websites can put. They have some control over that. And so it's now some of the marketplaces, if I go and look at those early ordinals, they're visible, even though they're not still on ordinals.com because they have a higher level of security or different checks that they take out than these other sites. But so that was, so the idea is really, it's like having something on your hard drive. Anything that, any files that you could have on your hard drive that can talk to each other, you can think about that happening on the Bitcoin blockchain. The only difference is they can't be updated, you know, after they've they've been inscribed. So that's where the difference, the difficulty, sort of comes in, in that you know these things are are written in stone. But if you have a plan for how these things work, they're constantly executed, and when they're executed, you know, the users can put an input in, you know. So there's things that can change despite the fact that they're hard coded. The code can still be activated in different ways. And it, can, and, it, and it can send out messages. So you can always build something in the future, knowing that this old piece of code sends out messages when X, Y, or Z happens. Now this future one can, can hear those messages when they happen. Um, I don't so know let's, give, let's give an example. Word.
0: Yeah, let's yeah. give an example. Maybe you can say five files or 10 files, whatever you think makes sense. And say, we're gonna have these five files. Uh, we're gonna use recursion to link those together. What would be an example of, maybe Few files, what does file one do? File two, what's the sound?
1: I mean that's kind of where what's going like on with the like ordinals attempt. and the and the and the sampler, the sequencer, you know, that's pulling in lots of different files together. Um probably a simpler uh way to explain it is something else that I did something I did on stacks. When the Stacks mainnet first launched, we put out a collection. It was the first generative collection. There were no collections other than the stuff we'd done with Fatboy Slim and Cara Delavine. And we did these. It was just a very simple idea, which was four squares of color with a number one logo in front of it, which was at the top or at the bottom. And these four squares of color had seven different colors. So there, I think there's 4,802 possible uh, outcomes and we ended up only making 91 of them they're supposed to be 111 but the network crashed when only really made 91 so there was always 20 missing and when ordinals came along i thought let's get those 20 as ordinals it kind of takes what was already an interesting story and bridges the gap to actual to actual bitcoin the last 20 end up on bitcoin and then from there the recursive idea was could i i was experimenting with how to shrink code because at this point ordinals was now a thing and people were like wow it's getting expensive and we need to be working on smaller files i'd always been working with small files but i was like how far can i push this and so with chat gpt i started investigating this thing called pixel arrays or pixel matrices which is a very simple way of taking that square those four squares of color in the code show up as potentially thousands of individual RGB points saying this point is orange, this point is orange all in a row for that whole square. And then this point is green for like a thousand times here. And with a pixel array, you can shorten that to almost a single line that just says, you know, 1000 oranges here in a row. And so it just goes, okay, instead of saying it a thousand times, you just said, this is a thousand of these. And then I can do it across. I can say it's a thousand of these and a thousand this way as well. And now I've got two lines of code that now fills this entire box of orange. And so I was experimenting with that stuff. And I then managed to make a software HTML version of this uh, collection called the hash One collection that was entirely code. And I think I made this before the recursion thing had happened. It was when recursion happened that I was then able to go back once I I figured out how it actually worked, And I could go back to this code and I could then request any one of those. So now I'd got the 4,802, the entire collection actually in this single piece of code, which I think is four kilobytes. It was a hundred megabytes worth of of, of images that I'd now shrunken into a four kilobyte HTML code, which just had the code for creating these 4,802 images. And now in the future, I was able to go back and say, okay, I want you now to give me the one with the blue, the green, the orange and the red square and the one at the top. And again, I can now call that with equally a very small piece of code. Everything's just in that that kind of engine that has all of the instructions needed to produce all of it. Um, So that was a way of just using using two.
0: So um, in terms like an impact on users, so whether you're a musician or you produce audio in some way, speech, whatever it might be, how does this help you? Is it just a purely economic thing so you don't have to spend so much on your inscribing, uh, uploading files that already exist on a practical level? How does this help people?
1: I mean this is what where it, where it's interesting with the uh the ordinal sequencer which is like fun to play with and it's free to play with you know as people in, uh, add more samples there'll be more fun you can have with the sequencer but it basically loads up as a 64 step sequencer and you can trigger points along the way but where it gets interesting is once you've once you've created a song <clears throat> you can then inscribe that song as I said before as a series of instructions which might be already it could be two, three, five kilobytes, unless it's like a epic. It could be a whole film score. You know, it could be like 30 kilobytes. And so that's now your song file is quite big. So now what I'm working on, and I'll have hopefully by the end of the week, is that we've got the sequencer, which is the engine, and then you make the song one time. And now you have a player that, that loads the song, but it loads the song from the song's inscription into the inscription of the uh, the sequencer and plays the song. And now that file... I'm hoping to get it sub one kilobyte. So that should mean that then when you're coming to distribute the actual song, you're not having to write the actual full song, you know, the, the, um, the sheet music, if you will. You're not having to, to actually send that out every time with the song. You've just got another piece of code that knows where the song is, knows where the player is, knows how to put them together. And now it's got its own little UI, a little player, you know, uh, image or whatever that, that the user can now hit play, hit stop but it's just a, it just plays that one song um, but it's it's hopefully you know the cost it's still not cheap cheap but it's still around you know one to two dollars versus maybe ten dollars which already is cheap when you're thinking about an actual song if you were to go and actually inscribe an actual song now even mp3 level it's three 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 and a half megabytes it's not even going to be possible it, those things like people filling an entire block with like one file is it's few and far between now. So at the best you could do is break it up into maybe 10 parts, which are 10 audio parts and piece those together. Um, But so this new way of doing things is interesting. Once that library builds, it's like you've put a kick drum, you've got a snare, you've got a hi-hat, you've got a bass, you've got all these things, but you're using them them also in a recursive way. So instead of having this whole song file, you've, you've just got this kick that's played 150 times you've got this snare that's played 150 times you've got all these individual elements that have already been paid for they're on chain now you're just putting them in together into this new programmatic uh version uh you know it's a it's a song um but like i said not a song like you know it because there's no recording um but so that's that's really the beauty of it is that you can then create it as a file that is accessed by another file now if you want to make a hundred of these. Okay, it's only going to cost you a hundred or two hundred dollars to put out, uh, you know, a hundred players that all hold your song. Uh, the player itself is also quite interactive. It can listen to the song. I've I've already built one where, when you know, when you hit play, it's listening to the tempo of the song and some of the instruments and it's animating certain parts of the player. Yeah. That can all be very easily tied in together. Some of that I hope to hand over. So as a musician, you can then say, I really like when the headphones on this player like animate at a certain time, but I want it to animate with this instrument. I want it to come on at this time. And they can kind of program all that before inscribing it. So they know that when their player goes out, uh, you know, they've had a little extra touch on it. It's not just the song. They've added some additional flourishes. And also there's more recursion. There's always, at the moment, I'm building a player that is just a player, but there'll be options for people to add their own cover art, even their own music videos uh, and I, I get to yet to say whether I could sync the music videos up at some point there 'll be a way to do that i 'm um, working on a project at the moment with counterfeit culture to create a music video where we 're linking a video that also is being you know programmatically assembled inscribed frame by frame, uh, and then i 've got to sort of build a, a piece of software which will bring all of these frames together into a film with the music and sound in time uh you know there's there 's a whole world here you know we'd once I'm doing a lot of the hard work Mm. now, but once there are more of these, there will be, I promise you, there will be all of these um, kind of labs or whatever, you you know, platforms online for doing this stuff. I'm doing it manually now, but pretty soon it'll be really easy to say, okay, take this sequence of images. And you know, redo it. You'll probably end up having fans of a film where there's like millions of fans going. Let's between us inscribe every frame of this movie uh, and the sound, so it can be recursively pulled together. If there's enough money there, yes, it'll cost a fortune. If there's enough people. Uh, if the will, if the will is there, then there is a way. You know, that these people could put entire films classic films you know online if i probably shouldn't be suggesting that because there's obviously yeah. a um, you know copyright, copyright thing and that's yeah uh, but but at any rate it's just that there's nothing nothing is is not possible what what probably is interesting is maybe someone making a film that way you know making a film and then having it actually released the way i'm putting out songs which is there is no film there's just a series of instructions that if you execute them they will create the film in front of your eyes um and that's that's this kind of programmatic. Uh, procedure
0: yeah so then in a way it really helps creatives because you already have like a lot of the substrates that you will need to do that and then the other thing is you know with art there's always this idea that you no know, artist really is build something completely brand new but you build on the work of previous artists right we stand on the shoulders of giants and so when you have these different files that you can kind of program connect together you can take the best ones and really make something really special and i was kind of talking about recursion with danny yang you know on chain monkeys and we were talking about the files one way to sort of see which audio files might be the most valuable isn't necessarily like a song that sold for the most it's it's more like what sound audio files that you upload are referenced the most or library, whatever it is. And so that's also a way to sort of establish the value of something. It's like, Hey, you know, all these great artists use file, A, B, C, and D that Jim yeah. BTC inscribed, you know, way back in 2023, and they're still using all of this great stuff. So it's sort of like a histor- historical record of like, what has been the most useful, impactful, inscriptions the and the earlier you do that, right?
1: that has that information built into it so you have that ledger there you know from the minute people are inscribing songs it's like here's every sample i used. and if you look at that sample there's the owner you know i don't even i don't know who they are but i know that if i'm going to pay someone for this song i know who who it needs to be Uh, and again that owner also has been able to through the audional uh, protocol put all that metadata in there so they can also say like this is licensable Um, Unless you're going to pay me for it, you can't use it. So therefore, if I then take my composition to a record label and they say, oh, look, there's a sample in here. Again, they put a lot of time and effort and money into this stuff, into checking samples. Whereas if this just the song arrives and it's, it's got a built in ledger saying, "Okay, here's the song. And if you click on each of these links, it takes you to the to the sample and if it's an audio sample, it's also now got its licensing information in there. And again, someone can just build some software, so even as a label, I don't even have to do that. You just literally, this software just looks at it and goes, yeah, you've used a sample that I'm not prepared to pay for. But then that musician can also just very quickly just go and go, okay, well, I've just got to swap out that sample because I'm not even mixing this to give it to you, it, it, it's in its uh, um, you know sheet music form. And so all I have to do is go and go, okay, all of those, that line there it just changes to a new sample that that is license free or whatever and straight back to the label, you know, for uh, for checking. So yeah, it's yeah, very so
0: I could see why a lot of people benefit from this. And one one thing to think about that I think is fun sometimes is who does it who might not like it. Like it's it's fun to think about who likes it, but it's also who might not like this. Can you think of any examples oh, or people I can think or... Of lots. <laughs> Well, let's hear it. I mean, I mean, coming hear from it.
1: the music industry, you know, this is something that I have these conversations with musicians both people who are very uh, established as well as, uh, you know, grassroots musicians all the time, you know, the musician, music industry is a, it's a beast. And it's, uh, it's had, it's, it's like the banking uh, sector. It's it's not really any different. They're not gonna uh, let anything go quickly. We've, we've had several revolutions that we thought were going to completely level the playing field. They never did. And in fact, the playing field for music, I don't think can ever truly be leveled because there will always be a need for uh, you know, the, the trendsetters, you know, the 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 radio pluggers of the world, you know, people who tell the, the people what to play, you know, that's always going to be there. But, you know, the idea of, for me, the most revolutionary thing about this idea is if, if we go back to that example I was saying before about if you were going to use this system to decide on how to pay people based on which samples were used in a song if if that model was to exist then what that means is that there is a complete reversal of the uh the 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 journey that money takes and so the money goes straight to the songwriter and the sample holders and so that instantly flips the entire model on its head where i've now got spotify going oh hey jim uh were you happy with the work we did this month did we send enough people from it if, if it's cool can we send our invoice you know and the label going hey yeah that, that's all done really well C- can we invoice for the work we've done you know which is like how everyone else's job works it just never has for, for musicians or other artists but it's like you know that's that's ultimately where i would love for this to go where it it just empowers people by switching the how the money moves and so the money ends up going to the musician and the musician gets to say yeah, no, I think I think Spotify did a good job this month. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay them. <laughs> yeah,
0: and yeah, that's, that's what I love about Bitcoin. I like to think about it as is you know who which gatekeeper does it remove? That's how I like to think of Bitcoin. Like who is it that's locking the producers? You know whether whether you know bankers are are the gatekeepers, the government are the gatekeepers, and so Bitcoin helps us to get around that. And music has gate, gatekeepers that have just keep stuck around. Like Napster didn't solve that issue 30 years ago, did it? Um, and so this, this offers a new way to do that. And I've, I've read so many awful things about the music industry and lawsuits, and it seems like it's a never ending thing. And I always wondered, why can't this be solved? But you're saying that with ordinals and with, you know, audio nulls, that this could help that because of like, why exactly? Because the, the file is there. It's, it's immutable. It can't be changed. It can't be altered. We know who owns it, right? so is, yeah, is that the basis the, the of that thing and that then the
1: programmability that's the main thing is that you know who owns it you know you know where that money is supposed to go but really you know this is the start of what i hope will be a revolution i don't know where this goes the real for me the thing that's really going to change things in a realistically uh like a believable way for me is just re-education this is what it's always been with musicians you know as a tour manager uh, i spent many years working with young bands and i just saw you know Half the problem with the music industry is that musicians are all trained to be so grateful for any attention that they get uh, for their work and for their art that they kind of get lulled into this, this weird, uh, you know, they just sign stuff, you know, they don't think about these things. And for me, some of this stuff, just the idea that it empowers someone in any way, whether it's revolutionizing the entire thing or just empowering them in the some of the things I said earlier about how they can share and how they can you know work together more you know all of these things lead to a more sovereign type of young musician who feels independent who feels empowered they have things like I'm building towards which just mean that they've managed to just take back some control where it could be taken back in in their in their art and in in the way they work and and in the way that they Trade, you know. Already, I think young people are growing up with this. You know, everyone's a trader now. That's not just the, you know, left to the rich and 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 all, all of that. And so, I think the the quicker we get to musicians who walk into a lawyer's office, like, 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 with a completely different attitude, uh, that is, why, why should I sign this? Why? What are you doing for that? You know, that's 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 what really changes the music industry. You know, once there's just a bunch of musicians who are actually looking out for what's good for them and taking that money back, taking that power back. That's how eventually that power gets gets eaten away because it's not going to let it happen any other
0: way. Um, so it's an yeah. issue of ownership and distribution that yeah. yeah solves that. Okay, yeah, yeah. That make that makes sense. I'd love to hear that. You know, I, I'm always kind of rooting for kind of the underdog, the producers, the makers, the people who actually do the work. And I'm less empathetic to the suits and the lawyers and the, the, you know, the capitalists who extract value. So I love seeing that, you know, inscriptions are beyond just monkey JPEGs, that it's also empowering of of creative people, ownership. As a musician,
1: Um, you would have to go through your publishers, for example, to get all the information about where and when your music was used. You know, this is just one one thing and it's quite a big thing but it's one thing that all musicians have just had to deal with which is like I have a trusted third party probably several if I'm if I'm globally putting anything out who, who I just have to trust who tell me when and where my music was used and half the time these performing rights societies they have crazy archaic systems that if there's a space out of place or a misspelled word then the song doesn't exist you know all of that now <clears throat> can be put back in the hand of musicians so at the very least you now don't have to call anyone up to say where and when was it used because now there's a ledger that records this stuff. And so even just that is going to be empowering. You know, the fact that you're you're not completely reliant on someone else to know what's going on, you know, which is partly where all these middlemen have come from. And now, if anything, they're creating this this environment where they're kind of needed. It's almost being more complicated. They go, oh, you still need us because you can't do this. You know, it's all so complicated. And this is all supposed to just break that down. They go, no, you know, have a musician go, no, it's not complicated. I don't need you, mate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's the whole idea, at least uh, Bitcoin the money, right? Peer-to-peer uh, electronic cash. And so this is more peer-to-peer audio and without middlemen. And you use the word ledger, which is obviously very important. There's a ledger of all this. It's a transparent and open ledger that also has metadata, that also has files. That's also money. So I don't know how, how this goes with like, you know, lightning payments or if there's something that you can do programming You know, Bitcoin payment for something? Have you thought about that? Is there a conceptual framework for that?
1: I mean, when you're talking about using Bitcoin with these, yeah. I mean, for certainly, I mean, this is the whole kind of idea is that you know, this there is this payment network. This is like an audio layer one with its own network. Um, But yeah, the two can totally work together. That's the idea is that you end up with a peer-to-peer system where the money goes from the listener to the musician, and then if that listener base is growing why is it growing? Is it growing because of on-chain stuff? Okay, well, then that's all down to the owners on-chain. If it's growing off-chain, then there's going to be some people off-chain going, oh, we're marketing this, we're doing that. And that. But again, because the money's gone direct to the musician, it's the musician who then decides who to pay, which is beautiful, <laughs> which is like something that I never thought there was a, an actual way to. And this this is the beginning of that. This is definitely the beginning of that. There's, there's going to be some stuff that comes out of this sequencer, at some point, a, a label is going to want to sign and they are going to have to, they are going to be the, have to be the ones to move because for a start, there's no recording. If someone eventually makes a hit using this software and insists that no one records it, that it is, that it is distributed as an ordinal composition, then that label is going to have to be the ones to tell their lawyers to draw up new rules because they're not going to really, to begin with, know how to sign it. Uh, because there's no recording so i'm just I'm, i'm just in this is all just being part of the evolution of how this thing gets better i don't know what the answer is i don't know how it works gets there but i do have a very strong feeling that this is a very good move and a very good um opening for a new world of of kind of production and uh relationships in the industry yeah
0: it seems like you're you're starting to get the word out there i just kind of follow the twitter threads and i see people responding to it and reacting to it and i think by you just putting it out there you know, what you have. And I, I like the user interface. I like it. It's, it's really interesting. So just, you're just putting it out there, starting, you built something, people are starting to use it. And then you kind of don't know where it's going to go. I think you probably have a decent idea of where it can go, but you know, this is technology and, and Danny Yanks said something interesting too. He's like, you're talking about recursion. And he said, he said, you know, people are going to use this in ways that we didn't think of. And I think that's really exciting, you know, to, to, to have that because think how that how music you know it changes and so the things you're building now someone's going to use it and you're like oh, well that's so obvious now I didn't why didn't I can't, think wait of
1: that? For that. can't wait for that I mean that's what that's what the open source environment is is best for you know that's kind of why you know I'm not a developer I'm a musician I built the sequencer because it was going to be well again like I said it was almost an accident falling into it but then I started really working on it because I realized how much fun and how well it worked, and so I kept working on it, but all the time thinking at some point some actual digital synth emulation genius is going to spot this and go, "Oh my god, I want to do this stuff on Bitcoin," and then hopefully get in time. And I have created a, a GitHub for the sequencer, like a public GitHub. There's a couple of people, kind of the guy uh, who's already helping sort of do the, the, the front end stuff, but I'd love for it just to be a community thing. You know, I've kind of I've, it's got kind of to the limits of my uh, abilities, but the quicker that. I'm trying to already build some stuff into the sequencer that will, you know, have a way, you know, for anyone to build something at any point in the future that will, you know, be in, be able to be loaded into the sequencer because the idea is, you know, eventually you want to have all these different effects units. You know, you want to have a whole, every channel be able to go through any number. And this is the other beauty of because these things are all in the same domain. I mean, I think that's the thing that surprised me with how well the samples come together because everything is in the same domain. Uh, it just operates very, very smoothly, and so I, I don't—I haven't yet found the limit for doing any number of recursions. You know, I think the the more it's like Danny. You know, Danny put the the three JS library, the the three D library. They inscribed that around two hundred thousand or so. You know, very early, and I didn't hear about that until I don't know a month ago or or a little little bit before, maybe a week before they actually announced and launched it. I heard about it through someone who was uh working with them and was kind enough to send me the links so i'd been on a few chats saying i was working uh, on this other project with these 3d models that i was trying to build and i'd been trying to build my own 3d libraries uh in because 3js was it was out of my budget to do that. It's like 350 kilobytes but i was taking the bits i needed build my own libraries and then i hear all these guys have already inscribed it and they inscribed it months ago and it's like oh my god how much foresight is that someone just contacted me the other day i think who has inscribed midi.js and then i just need someone to inscribe tone.js and then on the music side we can have you know library access to things that will again increase the efficiency the timing the stability uh of of the sequencer so um yeah i mean danny was uh
0: he saw that Pretty early. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you, you brought up ChatGPT. Um, yeah. You had this Twitter thread where you asked ChatGPT, like, what are the, you know, 20 things I think you can do with this? Um, and also to summarize, so you, you, you have used that, I think, to maybe explain things and maybe to even um, kind of brainstorm a little bit. I'm, I'm thinking about if you have all these files as inscriptions, right? I wonder if AI can pull from all that. So you might say, okay, I want a soundtrack to my movie that sounds like this, that, that, that whatever it is, the prompts are you have to do. And they'll pull yes. from these audio files That's and an awesome then use idea. a recursion. Have you, what, <laughs> what do awesome you think idea. about that? I mean, this,
1: this again would mean that like the library right now is just so small, whether AI could eventually be, <clears throat> probably would be powerful enough at some point to just be able to just scour for audio obviously having it kind of in the ordinal standard where it's all indexed. Once we have an indexer, that's a really neat idea. Because one of the things I had a conversation with someone quite recently with a a gaming company, they're like, how could this interact with games? I'm like, in such an amazing way, because this is all algorithmic. You know, it doesn't, the songs don't become mixes. They are an algorithm. They are instructions on, on putting things together. And so your game can algorithmically interact with a song in a way like never before. Like, so when a character gets a level up, rather than going... Well, we want to have like three different theme tunes for this character, depending on their level. You can now have a a theme tune that literally evolves alongside the character. So as the character like finds, you know, picks up some some instrument or object or something, that that just changes like the effect on this instrument, or it changes the timing of like the hi hat, or it just changes, you know, the from a from a from a major to a minor tone. Anything you want to do can be done in really small. Uh, iterative steps so it's like you could have like a sort of soundtrack that evolves as much as your character evolves without ever being part of the same you know without being written you know to work with one another you can sort of find a way to go okay we're going to build songs that have this way of evolving uh through instructions that come out of our game saying okay you know such and such has happened what does that change in the song and it can be anything it changes in the song you know just once we've got a full production environment and an enormous library Uh, of songs that again does depend on that at the moment the library is probably only around 100 samples or something Um,
0: it'll get there though definitely it'll be it'll be big enough so then people like that companies like that don't have to necessarily write the music it's more so than they need to think about programming the music because you were talking to
1: work with a musician they could do it themselves or they could work with a musician to sort of uh, you know it can work in any way they want all they ultimately want is to have a song that exists in this programmatic algorithmic state that then their algorithm can go, okay, we're just going to Let's play. It's just, I'm going to, when I, when I change this, you do that. When I do that, you do that, you know, and just sort of the sky's the limit. Like you said before, I can't wait to see what people do with this stuff. I've taken it as far as I can. as like an individual. And now I'm kind of more playing with it than anything and just trying to figure out uh, some of the, uh, the sort of more boring parts to getting the standard to work really well for people. Um, But, yeah, I just can't wait to see what people do with this. I know it's going to be mind-blowing because even what I think – and I do think about this stuff a lot. I think about what's possible, but there's stuff that's just not possible now because of some of these other little bits of software that don't exist yet. But that's going to never end. I mean, people are going to – this is just the biggest shared hard drive we've ever known. This is the thing is it's one hard drive that we all share. That's that's the real beauty of this. It's like I don't have to send you anything – other than links but ultimately we share whatever we do in that that bitcoin uh blockchain data space is shared with with everybody and that's yeah you know, really yeah it be
0: powerful and and that's why one reason i wanted to have you on the ordinals podcast is so you can kind of share about this kind of get the word out maybe beyond the kind of people that follow you on twitter but other other people right who maybe don't know you on twitter but but they find this interesting. So hopefully this episode will get out to people, contribute. Um, I think like a lot of things, it just takes a little bit of time. It takes one person to kind of do this one weird thing and people, Oh, I get it, you know, in some weird way. And this is why I love this Twitter thread that you use chat GPT to help you out with, with all the different ways uh, that that exist could benefit and i really hope people will follow this i'm just going to scroll through these really quick just so they're on record and we could just kind of uh, dive in there we have a few minutes left but i'll just hit a few so besides just kind of music files here's here's a few i'm going to run through really fast historical records like important speeches public addresses uh language preservation so you have endangered languages uh, which would be very interesting. You can combine different words to say different things. Another one is education. So people could access, you know, reliable audio content. Proof of authenticity is another one. So we kind of talked about that one though, about the, you know, the source of truth for authentic recordings. Um, number six was auditory health research. So you could have a collection of these health related audio, like heartbeats, breathing patterns. I think having a standard thing to measure
1: when you do a a test on your ears, that'd be interesting to have them on there. Just because again, it's like any technician in the world could use those knowing that, you know, it is the same sound. It is is exactly the same sound that you've been told to use rather than, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that one until you just said that.
0: Yeah, the, 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 um, integrity of the sound. So you're not, Having a standard, you know, and it's like that, that's the yeah. standard. That's the
1: one you use. And that's, that's the standard. Like they have that crazy weight. That's like one kilogram ball. that's like kept in a yeah. vacuum somewhere, you know, it's like, okay, now we've got that, those audio standards can exist here where you all agree. This is the standard for X, Y, and Z sound.
0: Yeah. I love that. A few more, um, scientific data preservation. So audio. Data related to like wildlife space exploration could be, uh, have, be there for future research, um, public service announcements, emergency warnings. Uh, and I like this one, number 10, personal mementos, like voice recordings, wedding vows, children's first words. Like this is what I think of, Jim. Like if you were to upload various files from like when you got married and the birth of your child and then it's their birthday and then they graduate from high school and they, you know, they they win this award and then you could use recursion to kind of put all those things together. If you've thought about like more personal things like that.
1: I mean, I, I, I proposed to my wife uh, on the edges of, of the cd i i actually was about six months later than i meant to propose and we'd had a few arguments about it cause she thought i was never going to ask and it's like i'm just waiting for the album to get finished but once i had it finished it was written around the edge of the album so i'm very sentimental like this and when you were talking about going back 30 years i'm like this is probably what i would have done would have been you know maybe a um a proposal that i that i inscribed or something you know like an audio proposal would have been nice you know like a song or Uh, You know, and the words or something, you know, but yeah, I'm totally down with all that sort of stuff. And and like you said earlier as well, you know, old relatives and stuff, you know, pulling these things in, it can be very meaningful, you know, having those those sorts of things. And that's not just restricted to audio either. I think that there'll be, I mean, my standard, I haven't looked at it with video, but I'm guessing just using the same standard would apply to, to video as well. So people could take. Um, you know, short clips, I mean, what to be short, but again, if, if the if the money's there, you know, cut them up into mm-hmm. different pieces, but then using the same standard probably to convert it to base 64, your audio and your video into a single text document, which is then put into a um, the same uh, standard with all the metadata. And then you can, again, just pull those back together to make your, and again, with AI saying, you know, make me a yeah. mix. It's uh, all about the, the times we spent here or there or whatever, a bit like the, your iPhone does these days.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. It's the future mixtape, right? The, the, the mixtape comes back, but it's audiovisual, it's sounds, it's voice, it's songs. A lot of exciting stuff here, Jim. I'm really glad you came on the, the show. I think this is going to hopefully spread awareness of your project, of what's possible. Um, and also it's opened my mind to well how it works, first of all, but then also what you can do with it. So I'm really going to be happy to share this um i want to finish on one question that i ask all of our guests and i think for you i know you're going to have a good answer and the question is is there one inscription or several inscriptions that you would never sell or transfer and if so what are they and why
1: um i don't have a a huge amount i don't have any massively valuable inscriptions or anything i've got some early ones but i think possibly like my the first audio one that i that i made uh, my first audional um uh maybe the first sequencer i mean you know i've made i did inscribe the first sequencer but uh, so it's there for anyone to use. No one needs to, uh, to to own it to use it. So I've no reason to uh, yeah. to give that away. I mean, unless it was worth an absolute fortune, and then I would, because I could always use it every day because it's just there on the blockchain. So uh, I don't know. I don't know how yeah. all this stuff. I don't really know where the value proposition is sometimes in these things, other than being early. You know, I get that. And so I think yeah. with these things, you know, there is that there is that value to these things that I've made in that they were the first uh, of, of their kind.
0: It's also subjective value, right? I asked mm-hmm. Charlie Spears, and, and sometimes that's not, well, it's this thing that's worth a lot of money now. It's just something really sentimental uh, to him that he would say. It doesn't. It's so sentimental. Yeah. I, I would never even transfer it. I can't even think about selling it. It's more, you know, even that. And I think that's going to become more common as more people use it. They're more like non-commercial inscriptions, I guess yes. I would call them.
1: Yeah, it's things that um, are made for yourself, you know.
0: Yeah. I, well, I'm, again, Jim, I want to thank you for coming on the Ordinals podcast. Everyone please check out what Jim is doing. So Jim, where, where can people learn about, you know, audio nulls and then the other stuff you're doing?
1: Uh, so they can go to com, which is audio N-A-L-S.com. And then they can play with the sequencer and they can upload some, uh, so inscribe some samples and if they're really into it, I'd love it if people would uh, donate to help me with my research because at the moment I don't uh, really have much income from this stuff, if anything. Uh, so that would be great as well. And then also check out thisisnumber1.com, which is the uh, the original um, uh, pl- platform that we set up on Stacks, doing uh, all amazing uh, layer two NFT things. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's Jim.BTC with the dot spelt D-O-T j-i-m-d-o-t-b-t-c uh, is my handle on twitter and follow at audionals as well and uh yeah just uh stay tuned and get in touch i love hearing from people i love uh working with people um so yeah if, uh, if you're into this stuff give me a shout i'll uh, i'll always answer
0: please please do so I, I recommend everyone do that obviously jim's a collaborative guy creative guy experience that's another good thing about age right is jim's got the experience with music and everything else so a great resource for everyone and again one last time jim thanks for coming on the podcast
1: thank you thanks for having me on right it's been a great chat i really appreciate it thank you
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode please rate and review our show subscribe to the ordinals podcast on spotify itunes or your favorite app and follow us on Twitter at the Ord Pod. Drop us a line at podcasts at org.media for topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like us to interview. Ordinal's 2024 conference is taking place in Nashville. Early bird passes are available now. Visit ord.media and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening to The Ordinal's Podcast produced by Ord Media.